You're on, Chief. 430. Right. Okay, it's 4.30. I'm going to go ahead and call the meeting to order. That, yeah, right at 4.30. So, next item will be to recognize alternates. Uh, I think we've just got one currently is Kelly Hayworth for Tom Gill of Coralville. All right. Uh, next item will be to consider approval of the meeting minutes. So moved. Second. Okay, we've got first and second. Any discussion? Uh, hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay, it's approved. Uh, next item, set next board meeting date and time and location. Looks like January 30, January 30th, United City. Yeah, if that works for the bulk of the board, uh, we'd like to do it January 30th. As you mentioned, um, that is the meeting where we go through our budget uh, for the following year, and we'd like to have, have as much time as we can to prepare that um, since we work with Iowa City to prepare our budget and then conversely work on the MPO board's budget. Not hearing any dissension on that, so that'll probably be it. Uh, next item, we've got public discussion of any items not on the agenda. I had one quick thing uh, before we get uh, too deep into the agenda. I just wanted to quickly uh, thank Mike Carberry for his service to the MPO and the residents of Johnson County, uh, as I believe this might be Mike's last meeting. Um, Mike has served on, I went back and looked, if I did my math right, uh, Mike's been on the board for about three years. Um, and has had very good attendance uh, as I looked back through all the different uh, meeting minutes. So I'd like to thank again Mike Carberry for his uh, for his commitment to the MPO, and I've enjoyed working with him very much. Awesome. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, um, if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have been a planner. <laughs> um, because boy, I could have used some of the knowledge, but you know, I, I spent enough time with other professional planners, and uh, I really like to thank uh, Kent and the entire staff. It's made uh, makes our job a lot easier. Just as, as in the county, we have such great staff, but the MPO does just a fantastic job. And you know, uh, transportation and, and uh, land use have been you know passions of mine. Kent said earlier today in the email that I, I, I make things, uh, have a great way of making things simple. Well, I like it. Sometimes I tell people that because that's so I can understand. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I've always been, uh, I, I thought I'd be good at is, uh, especially like in renewable energy, is taking complex concepts and kind of breaking them down to eighth grade English. Uh, for the president, I have to break them down to third grade English. But, uh, you know, eighth grade English, everybody understands eighth grade English, and that's how you know, business is done. I mean, not using multiple syllabic words, and I can't even pronounce that. So, uh, so I, I, I just think that uh, I love the work that uh, this board does. I think it's really important. And one thing I like about it is that I think as elected officials that uh, uh, we're tasked with not thinking about just next year's budget and not just a five-year road plan, but thinking about 25 years in the future and thinking about what this community needs in 25 years what kind of infrastructure roads trails you know where we need to build and, and that's the, the beautiful work of the mpo and uh i, I kind of wish i was sticking around but uh, you know well uh, i'm sure you haven't seen the last of me anyway so thanks a lot yeah. thanks mike thanks mike uh, okay moving on under administration uh 3A, we've got appoint nominating committee for the calendar year 
uh, board. Yeah, thanks, Kent Ralston, uh, director of the MPO. At your January meeting, as you do every year, you will elect a chairperson and vice chairperson for the calendar year 2019 Urbanized Area Policy Board. Uh, the chairperson is responsible, as you know, for presiding over meetings. Uh, it's also been my um, sort of our, our way of going about things where we either usually have a conversation or meet before board meetings to go over agenda items and have that discussion. Uh, obviously, when the chair is not present, the vice chair will fill in uh, for their duties. Uh, what we'd like from you tonight is that you please consider appointing a three-person nominating committee uh, that will get together between now and next January to decide uh, who the board would like to be the next chair and vice chair. Uh, currently, as you know, Steve Berner, Mayor of Tiffin, is the chair of the board. Uh, Terry Donahue, Mayor of North Liberty, is the vice chair. Uh, both of these gentlemen have served one year, and there's a two-year maximum term limit, so they could both serve again uh, if they so choose, and it's the, the wishes of the board. So uh, nothing really formal here, but if we have three volunteers to sit on that nominating committee, uh, again, you just uh, meet at your own pleasure between now and, say, mid-January and have that discussion. Uh, and then, of course, we would also uh, like to make sure that these gentlemen would like to serve again if that's the, the choice of the nominating committee. And then we'll report at the I'll January volunteer. meeting. I'll volunteer. Thank you, Louise. I will. Thank you, Susan. I will as well. That was you, Bruce. Thank you. Okay, so I'll ask Bruce, uh, Susan, and Louise just to get together sometime between now and, and mid-January. Um, it, it, historically, the director sort of stayed out of that conversation uh, for obvious reasons, but you know, I'm a resource and I'm happy to, uh, to help where I can. Uh, and just for background, I have provided the uh, past uh, chairpersons list uh, in your packet just for review. Thank you very much. Any questions? Uh, just one thing. Uh, last year we uh, <laughs> we had a, s a small snafu. <coughs> we said we we're going to be at uh, uh, one of the coffee shops, but it was one of the coffee shops that had multiple locations, oh. and we were not specific enough. <laughs> so we <laughs> we were at uh, a couple different places where we should have all been at the same place at the same time. The <laughs> yes, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> And that I recommend the first people you call are these two gentlemen and see if they want to serve again. <laughs> and that'll make your job really easy. And they do a fantastic job. Okay. Uh, moving on uh, to 3B, we can confirm which entities will nominate Johnson County representatives to the East Central Iowa Council of Governments Board of Directors. Yeah, thanks. The MPOJC bylaws state that each January, uh, this board uh, submits and appoints three elected official representatives to the ECOG Board of Directors, uh, as well as one citizen representative. Uh, and that citizen representative can be any citizen uh, of Johnson County. Um, the appointments are made according to a rotation that is outlined in the bylaws. And as in your packet, uh, under A, uh, one elected official seat is filled by the two largest entities uh, in the county, and that is Iowa City and the county itself. Um, the current representative is from Iowa City, and I believe it's Pauline Taylor, uh, and she served in that capacity for this last year. Uh, so the 19 representative is scheduled to be designated by Johnson County. Uh, under B, uh, the bylaws state that one elected official seat shall be filled by the third through fifth largest entities that alternate annually. Uh, the current seat is held by the fourth largest entity, which is the City of North Liberty. And the 2019 representative is then scheduled to be designated by the City of Solon. Under C in your packet, uh, the bylaws then dictate that one elected official seat 
uh, will be an elected official from the remaining entities, uh, including the rural entities in Johnson County. Uh, the current seats held by the city of Shueyville and the 29 representative uh, is scheduled to be designated by the city of Lone Tree. And then lastly, the bylaws state again that one citizen representative be appointed uh, to that board. So I intend to contact Johnson County, Solon, and Lone Tree and request that they designate ele elected officials, which we will then bring back to this board in January basically to, to ratify. Uh, what I would like from this group tonight is some direction on how you would like to proceed with the citizen representative. Uh, Randy Lobsher has served for the last year and Randy came to, I believe, the last meeting we had uh, to give an update on, on what he's taken away from ECCOG uh, being that in that citizen representative capacity. Uh, I think he's done a nice job, uh, but I would just like some direction from uh, this board on whether we want to ask Randy to serve again uh, next year, and there's no term limit uh, for that position, or if we'd like to uh, go ahead and advertise for the position uh, so another member of our community can, can serve. He's only been in there, you said, for about a year? You One year, One correct. Year. Mm -hmm. If he's done a good job and attended, I would encourage that we ask him yeah. to do it again. Yeah, and I there's agree. A, there's a definite learning curve. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it takes a year to figure it out. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I would definitely encourage yeah. asking yeah. him again. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, is having been on ECICOG, it, it, there is a big learning curve, and, yeah. and he has done a good job and, and excellent attendance. He's always there and, and yeah. uh, participates, and so if he's interested, he would be good. Yeah, I agree. I thought that would be what I'd get from the board, but I wasn't sure. Um, no, I think when uh, Mr. Lobster came to the last meeting, clearly I think he has an interest in what he's doing. Uh, and to be honest, it's not an easy position to fill sometimes. I mean, you're, you know, we're asking a citizen to uh, go to a meeting once a month in Cedar Rapids uh, during the day. So that's, it's hard to get to. Um, and I believe his attendance has been very good. Uh, with that, as I mentioned, I'll contact those entities and ask that they appoint a representative, and then I'll contact Mr. Lobster to see if he's interested in serving for one more year. We didn't officially do it, but we, we made our choice today. I think you'll be, uh, Rod Sullivan will be the ECI be COG great. representative. Perfect. That'd be great. He, he was going to reach out to uh, ECI COG to figure out if we were indeed coming back. We thought right. we were coming back yep. onto the board. Yep. So, so I'll reach out and contact, well, I'll yeah. contact all of the county yeah. representatives, but that's great. Good to know. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on to 3C, we've got preliminary discussion of the fiscal year uh, MPOJC budget. Yeah, thanks. Uh, prior to the preparation of the MPO budget for consideration at your January meeting, uh, it's been my practice to discuss with this group any major changes that I foresee coming in the next year. Um, as many of you know, administratively, uh, MPO staff is part of the City of Iowa City through a 28E intergovernmental agreement. Um, so we work pretty close with Iowa City during the budgeting process to make sure our numbers are right. Then those are translated into the MPO budget and then we, we uh, figure out what the assessments are for each entity accordingly. Uh, capital expenses for FY20 I think are uh, going to be very similar to recent years. Um, to be honest, we haven't had a lot of uh, interesting things to add to the budget. Uh, save for last year when the board gave us um, the direction to hire an additional half-time, uh, full-time equivalent staff member, uh, which we've done. So uh, I don't intend to ask for any additional staff. Um, we really have the capital expenses just being our software and maintenance um, and that sort of thing. So the budget's going to look very, very similar to what it did uh, last year. Uh, the one thing I wanted to point out is that we are using about $230,000 in DOT uh, planning funds that are provided to us. Uh, and that's an increase over some of the past years when we used about $200,000 worth. 
uh, of those PL funds. And that's really just to get a healthy balance um, of our reserves for the DOT. And then, of course, helps defray some of the costs for uh, all your uh, respective entities. So uh, unless there's any questions, uh, we will bring the full budget back uh, to this board in January for approval. And it looks like it'll be about a 4.5% increase over this budget, primarily for uh, staff salaries and increases in health benefits and, and so on and so forth. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Great, thanks. You can expect to see that in January, and, and we'll go from there. Thanks, Kent. Uh, 3D, uh, to consider a resolution approving updates to the MPOJC Title VI Compliance Plan. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm Brad Newman, Assistant Transportation Planner. Um, because the MPO receives federal funding each year, we're required to have an approved Title VI Compliance Program. Uh, what you have, and we actually have two. It gets kind of confusing. Uh, the one we have in front of you tonight is the Federal Transit Administration version. Uh, we, you approved, I think it was late in 2017, you approved the Federal Highway Administration version of the Title VI program. They both have different requirements and they say we can't just do one and cover everything, so we have to do two. Um, the Title VI program assures non-discrimination as outlined in the Civil Rights Act and it prohibits, prohibits discrimination on the basis of color, uh, race, and national origin. The attached document provides guidelines for the MPO to follow uh, to comply with all Title VI uh, requirements. It does include our uh, limited English proficiency review. Uh, this is, it's helpful and it identifies the languages we need to work with uh, when we're providing information to the public. Uh, it helps in all our language assistance programs. Uh, and we also uh, have attached the public participation plan, which is a big part of um, getting the word out on, in the public input on, on certain documents that we need to have you approve. Uh, you also approved that document back in 2017. Um, the complaint process is clearly outlined. Uh, we do work with the city of Iowa City and the civil rights department there uh, for that. Uh, we do supply the complaint form in our office. Um, it's, it's very similar to what the communities have to do. Each community has to provide a Title VI program, uh, and two of them actually. One is FTA version, one is Federal Highway, because of the federal funding, and transit agencies also provide their own Title VI uh, programs. So they're very similar to those. Our Transportation Technical Advisory Committee uh, considered, well, they recommended approval uh, of the policy statement, the assurances, and the resolution at their meeting last week. Uh, and staff is requesting approval of the document as well. So any questions on the Title VI? And this will be submitted to the DOT, and then it will put it, be put into our system where uh, the FDA can get a hold of it as well. If there's not any questions, uh, we want to make some action on this. Move to approve. Got motion. Second. Okay. Motion and a second. Any other discussion? All right. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay. Thank you. <coughs> Thanks, Brad. Moving on to transportation planning under 4A. Consider required safety target setting for the MPO as required by the Federal Highway Administration. 
Yeah, thanks. As you may recall, uh, the Federal Highway Administration now requires the MPOs set targets for five safety uh, performance uh, measures, and those are shown in your packet. Uh, and this is part of the Highway Safety Improvement Program. Uh, we have to set those. We have to set those targets and then report them to the state DOT uh, by February 27th of each year. Uh, and this is something we discussed and, and took care of last year at about the same time. Uh, for each measure, we either need to uh, adopt the state's measures or we can come up with our own. Uh, in either event, we're going to be required to state how our annual projects programmed in our transportation improvement program uh, show progress towards meeting the adopted safety standard, whether that's the one that we create or whether that's the one that we adopt uh, from the state. And we're also going to be required uh, in our next long-range transportation plan uh, to essentially do the same things and show how the program, or the, excuse me, how the projects we're funding uh, also help meet those uh, targets. Uh, similar to last year, uh, I recommend that we again adopt the state's targets. Uh, as I mentioned last year, if any time we feel that creating our own local targets are beneficial, we can do that before February 27th of each year. Um, staff met and we discussed it a little bit, and at this point we really don't see any clear benefit to adopting our own. And by adopting our own, we actually have to go through uh, our methodology with the DOT and prove that we've used a, um, an approved methodology and so on and so forth. So it's going to get a little bit complicated. But again, I just don't really see any clear benefit to doing that at this time. Um, essentially, what we're doing is just saying that we agree with these five-year rolling averages that are, again, in your packet, and that we'll try and strive to, to help the state meet those goals uh, in, in, in general terms. Um, I've attached a Federal Highway Administration sort of fact sheet in your packet for your view that just sort of discusses what all this means. Um, and what we're looking for today is uh, for you all to ask any questions that you might have and then for some board action. Um, I think of the nine MPOs in the state of Iowa, Des Moines, I believe, is the only one that went out and actually created their own uh, performance targets and adopted those. Uh, the other eight, including our MPO last year, uh, adopted the state's targets. And uh, again, I haven't seen a clear benefit as to going out and adopting our own uh, to this point. Any questions on this? This is, um, this is something that came through with the new transportation federal legislation a few years back. Um, we also have some road reliability standards that we brought to this board as well, uh, again, last year that we'll be bringing back. And as we move forward, we'll be having more and more of these performance measures um, that'll be requirements of our MPO going forward. Part of the new transportation legislation. Ken, uh, what, with the uh, Des Moines MPO, what, what areas did they set their own standards for? Was it across the board or? All? Uh, I think the ones they set, John, that's a good question, are the ones that are actually in, in the packet. So it's the number of fatalities per year, uh, and that would be MPO-wide, uh, the fatality rate, uh, the number of serious injuries, and the serious injury rate. I think those are the ones that they set uh, their own. Correct. Yep. So yeah, I don't think they came up with any new targets. Um, you actually have to, you either have to adopt these five that are in the, in the, in what's in your packet, or you have to, um, excuse me, you, the performance measure is the same. You either adopt your own target, or you have to uh, right. adopt the state's target. Do, one of do those you know two what things. what they adopted? No, I don't know what their numbers are. Um, and last year we discussed this a little bit, but for say <clears throat> number of fatalities, you know, in our urban area, the, what is very positive is we don't have a lot of fatalities. Um, you know, we we if you take out the interstate, I mean, we average one or two a year. Uh, typically sort of a, um, kind of a one-off type accident where, you know, it might not even be a two-vehicle collision. So we really, fortunate, fortunately enough, don't have a lot of fatalities. And that's where I struggle with setting our own goals, um, you know, because I think our goal for number of fatalities would, of course, then be zero. 
which is arguably uh, a good thing, you know, to set that goal at zero. But in the future, uh, I'm a little worried that if we set it at zero and we don't meet that goal, there might be some penalties in the future going forward. And that's not a threat of any kind. It's just that I think with any performance measure, that's what we see in federal legislation is they, they set these goals and standards or ask that we do. And then what happens later is if you're not meeting that standard, you know, they may take away funding or, or do these other things. So, so that's where, you know, I mentioned we as a staff talked about this and I, I just don't see any real clear benefit at this point. Um, I can say though that, and I think we talked about this last year as well, that you know, in our long-range transportation plan, and as we go through funding our projects with MPO funds, we have most of these criteria either in our scoring criteria, which we'll talk about in the next agenda item, or as a goal in our long-range plan already. So a lot of our goals are, of course, uh, health, safety, and welfare of users of our roadways and trails and that sort of thing. And we're already sort of giving credence to those projects and trying to allocate funds to those projects. So um, I, I think in one sense, we're already really trying to support these state's goals. Uh, and we've even said as much in a lot of our planning documents. So I think we're doing all these things. Uh, it just worries me a little bit to spend the staff time to come up with our own goals. Um, maybe not see a, a benefit in doing that. And then sometime in the future, potentially also <coughs> you know, having some penalties for not meeting those goals. And, and that, won't, that would not sneak up on us. I mean, the DOT would let us know that that's coming. Um, but again, I just don't see a clear benefit at this point in time. Move approval of the targets. Okay, thanks. <coughs> we have a motion for approval. Second. And second. Any other discussion? All right, I'm not hearing anything. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay, it's all ayes. That's approved. Thanks, Kent. Thank you. Moving on to 4B. This is for considering the scoring criteria for the uh, Surface Transportation Block Grant and the Transportation Alternatives Program funds allocated by the MPO. Yeah, thanks. So as you may recall, uh, at your last meeting, uh, staff indicated the grant applications for our Surface Transportation Block Grant funds and our Transportation Alternative Program funds would be made available this coming winter, uh, roughly at the end of January or first week in February. Uh, and at your meeting, we discussed uh, some of the Transportation Technical Advisory Committee's recommended changes. Uh, after discussion of those changes, which are enumerated in your packet, uh, the board requested to see a comparison of how previously funded projects would have scored using the currently adopted criteria versus what's being proposed. Uh, that is shown on, in Table 1, which is a little bit small, but in Table 1 in your packet. Um, and the upshot of that basically is it wouldn't have changed much. Uh, while the project scores actually changed a little bit, the project ranking really didn't. Um, we also uh, attempted to, and I don't know that I did a great job of it, but attempted to illustrate the relative importance of each criterion, uh, showing the relative percentage uh, of the points to the total points. And that is actually in table two. And what you'll see there are all of the different uh, criterion that we use uh, for scoring projects. Uh, and then the first column shows the percentage of total points available now. And then the draft criteria also then shows the percentage of available points. Um, primarily, you'll see that the ranking doesn't really change too much if you, if you, if you want to rank the projects, or excuse me, the criterion on relative importance. They don't really change too much. Uh, the only one I think that changed um, with some great degree, I guess, is maybe the local commitment, um, which is actually the amount of local funding you put into a project uh, for your match. So the local match seemed to jump a little bit. Um, 
the rest of them just sort of uh, kind of hovered around where they were, uh, maybe you know moved up in ranking a little bit or down uh, a notch or two, but really didn't have a significant change um, when we went through that process. Uh, the at their November sixth meeting, the TAC uh, unanimously recommended adopting the scoring criteria, which are attached in your packet. Um, the items in red are the changes, and then the items in strike through, of course, are the deletions um, from from the uh, existing criteria. Uh, what we're looking for from the board today is, of course, um, concurrence on how to move forward with what's presented before you. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions uh, that you might have. I think I think what I had mentioned at your last meeting is what we've really done is just sort of tweaked uh, things just a little bit. I mean, we really haven't made any wholesale changes. When we went through this with the Transportation Technical Committee, while they indicated which of the criterions they like to sort of add a little bit of extra points to, or some, I guess it was all additions, um, they did, really didn't give us guidance on how much they want us to increase the points. So I've, we've sort of tried to keep with our uh, 1.3 point five, seven, and nine point sort of um, pattern that we use. Uh, I didn't want to, you know, quadruple or triple anything because I don't think that's really what the committee intended to do. Um, so again, as I mentioned last meeting, we sort of just worked on the margins a little bit, I think, and sort of tweaked these. Um, and I think as you can see, when we went through scoring the old projects using the existing criteria versus the new scoring criteria, it really didn't change a whole lot. So um, that said, I'm happy to answer any questions you have. And of course, we're happy to, to further tweak things if we need to. Uh, I will say that we should have this pretty much taken care of tonight, hopefully, so that uh, come January, we can have a, a firm set of scoring criteria to use because then we'll be releasing those grant applications. Discussion? Yeah, I'll go ahead. <clears throat> so the one thing that I pointed out to Ken uh, yesterday, the day before, was that on 9A, I think that category is important. It's equity, and you get points for whether or not the project uh, improves transportation in low, uh, lower income neighborhoods. But there's really no definition to what low income neighborhood is. He said in practice they have a definition that they use to apply to that. I, I would just like to see something in there so it's not just open to vague interpretation. Yep, so, so Jim and I had this conversation, as he mentioned, uh, a day or two ago, and while it isn't, why isn't it clearly stated in that question, what we have used in the past is 80% uh, area median income for that criteria, um, and we've used census blocks, which is the smallest census uh, data we have available. Um, it's an imperfect science because some of the census blocks are, are bigger than you'd like to see them, uh, but last uh, go around when we did the funding and the applications, it seemed like 80% made some sense. Um, you know, we could use 60%, 30%, whatever we wanted to use. Um, and I had mentioned to Jim at the time too that um, by not having that actually spelled out in the actual criteria itself helps us a little bit because as the census data changes, we can sort of see what makes sense. You know, if, if the entire city's within 80%, it doesn't do us a lot of good to have the criterion, so we might lower it to 60%. It just sort of depends on, on what we see in the census data when it comes through. Um, I can't predict what happens, but um, you know, we could use whatever we need to use, I guess, uh, whether that's 80 or, or 70 or 60 or some other number. And you could even say, give it some, you could have from 60 to 80, depending on the circumstance or something, at least a little definition. bit more there. Right. Most of the other categories have really good definition. You know, the intersection has to be a P or an F or F. 
there has to be a bus route which has a map attached and the trails identified in the trail network, but this one just states that. Again, I think it's an appropriate category. Yeah, and I think in looking at scores from last year, it looks like uh, one of eight applications actually received points for 9A being in a lower income neighborhood, and that was uh, North Liberty's Highway 965 project uh, because that ran through one of those uh, lower income census block groups. Any preference on putting any additional language in that criterion or leaving it sort of open to staff's interpretation, which of course then we would discuss with the board. I wonder if just having the area of median income, you know, some wording to that or HUD, um, if, if that would satisfy, just to give it a little more, um, I, I do understand what he's referring right. to though. When you say 80% is 80% or lower, or just the... It was 80, <coughs> correct, it was 80% or lower would have received points, okay, yeah. Then, I guess, an 80% would give us like more chances to do... If 80 or lower, that means we can do up to 80, but if we, like, make it 60%, don't you think if... Another area that maybe like 70 or... They can obviously grant if they, if they become the or Yeah, so, so in this case, I mean, you would just not receive, so if we made it 60 and you were in one of the block groups that had 60% or less, you just wouldn't receive points for that, for the specific criterion. Since we used 80 last time and only one project actually met that and got the points, I mean, if we, if we lowered it to 70, 60 or whatever number we choose, um, we may not ever have any projects that fall within one of those areas. Uh, it's sort of luck of the draw. I mean, I don't think anybody, yeah. when they submitted those eight projects last uh, funding cycle, I don't think anybody looked. It's hard to look at the scoring criteria and say, you know, this is the project we're going to choose because we'll get points for that one criterion. Mm -hmm. I think most communities look at their projects and say, okay, this seems like it would score well on, you know, most of these, uh, most of these items. So, you know, it, there's a little bit of a feel to it. But, um, I mean, we could certainly say, you know, per AMI standards mm -hmm. or, or something. Yeah. I'm happy to put in a percentage, but the, you kind of already see how that could cause some sure. yeah. issues okay. in the future. Yeah. It depends on what projects are submitted. And, you know, some years we may get half these projects in uh, quote unquote lower income neighborhoods. Some years we may not. Sure. Just depends on yeah, what the projects are. Uh, maybe I'm overanalyzing. I was thinking from the perspective of you scoring it, you know, an applicant for the grant whoever that may be, the University of Iowa, may say, oh yeah, it goes through a low-income neighborhood. We have these residence halls with students we know are low-income. So you have to give us those points. And then it becomes this, well, why didn't you give us points? Mm -hmm. and, or, or it probably hasn't, but there's the potential for it. Right. So. I don't mind if you use the same rule of 80%. Sure. But the thing is, is that this is the centennial census is going to be coming up in two years. That may change the whole landscape again. Right. And, you know, right. we go from that point as far as how to interpret it for the next period of time. Right. And I think for this, we'll use American Community Survey data to the extent we can. Um, you know, I, I think maybe it makes sense just to see what projects come in and then maybe have a quick discussion, you know, with the board. Uh, yeah, because we'll, we take the scores first to the technical committee, and I think that's the time when we can share with them 
you know, had we used 80%, no project would have got points. So this year we used 60%. And I think as long as we're transparent with the committee and with the board, it seems to make some sense. Um, at any given time, we can change it. You mean you can change it? Yeah, you just said it. You said you can change it in any given time. We could change it on the fly, yep, because these, are our, these criteria are the boards and the boards alone and are not attached to any federal requirement. So we can, we can change them on the fly. Um, just so long as we have the projects in front of us can actually make sense of what that is, uh, we would be fine. Yeah. And it's not, it's a relatively small percentage of the makeup of the point, right. so it's not going to make or break a project. I mostly was protecting you. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. If you're comfortable, I mean, I don't want to over, overthink this. Are we okay with just? It sounds like we're okay with, maybe we'll try and work in just the, what we're using, you know, just by saying we're using census blocks and, and uh, average median income mm -hmm. as our rule, and maybe just not put in the percentage, and then maybe we'll just make sure to be transparent and keep the, the committee and then the board up to speed on that. Um, I think that makes sense, and we can change it on the fly. basis to work from. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we never know. We may get some years where one or two points can make all the difference in a ranking. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Kurt Kent, you know, indicating what the what it is you're looking at, yeah. census and uh, AMI. How the lower income is So that could be in that sentence you're yeah. saying? Yeah, we'll give the definition words. of we're using uh, average median income and census blocks to determine that, and then we can, like like we were discussing, on the fly, if we need to change that, we can. That's That will not be a big deal for yeah. us. Okay. That makes sense. I don't think anybody probably has an objection to that, do they? Okay, seems to make sense. That is that is the nice part about the scoring criteria just being our own. You know, this is the this is M, the our MPO scoring criteria. Every uh, MPO across the state has wildly different criteria. Uh, Des Moines at one point was up to I think 60, 80 questions, uh, and then there's some MPOs that really don't use a scoring criteria at all. So you know, it it varies widely. Ours is uh, I'd say ours is somewhere in the middle in terms of complexity. So. Uh, but that is the nice part is we can always change it on the fly if we need to and, and the board can make great <coughs> decisions. So. Otherwise, I, I'm fine with following the T-Tax recommendation. Personally, I don't think I have any objections to making these small changes. I move we adopt the scoring criteria that's been presented. Second. Okay, motion and a second. Any other discussion? All right, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay, it's approved. Thank you. Thanks, Kent. Uh, other business, 5A, we've got an update from Coralville staff on significant community projects. Yeah, Dan Holderness was kind enough to agree to come back and fill us in on all the good work they're doing. Thanks, Dan. Great, thanks, Kent. Uh, it's good to see you all here today. Um, as uh, I'll kind of preface my comments by, I'm sure you're hearing from all your staff, there's been a real challenging year for construction this year because of the weather. One, we had a wet spring, we had a wet fall, and now we're having November, or we're having January weather in November instead of <coughs> November weather. Um, so that's been a challenge for us, as well as I think, you know, there's a lot of public works projects in the area in the last year or two. And so I think our local contractor pool has been stretched uh, maybe beyond their capacity. And so we're, number one, seeing higher prices, and number two, seeing more difficulty with the contractors getting their work done in the specified times. So it's, it's been a real challenging year. 
Uh, first, I'll talk about transportation projects. I'll talk about our First Avenue project. It's from 6th to 9th. It's the last major safety improvement project on First Avenue south of Highway 6. Uh, that project was started in April of this year. And uh, currently, we have all the underground utilities done, the west side paving, the west two lanes are completed. Traffic is head to head on the west side. And um, the First Avenue 6th Street intersection is basically complete. And as of today, um, the contractor was able to pave the majority of the uh, easterly lanes, or the, what will be the northbound lanes, uh, today as well. So that's great. And they'll finish that up in the next few weeks. So our goal is to be finished, obviously, before the construction season closes in upon us. And the goal is to have uh, all four lanes of traffic open, plus the center turn lane, all the street lighting up all the traffic signals operational as well as the west side sidewalk complete and enough of the east side sidewalk complete to connect the two businesses that are over there as well. On Coral Ridge, um, that's going really well. Um, as of this coming Friday, the 16th, uh, we will transfer off of the detour route, the majority of the detour route. So we'll be, traffic will be on mainline paving. Uh, the exception to that will be uh, the north end from Wheaton to uh, Forever Green Road. We have to tear out the east side, east half of the Wheaton Corridge Avenue uh, intersection because that's where the detours ran for the entire summer. So we have to tear that out and put the new paving there. So other than that, it'll be head to, uh, be uh, traffic on the main lines, on the inner lanes only, and they'll cone out the outside lanes to keep continuing to do construction on the outside lanes as well. So uh, again, on Friday, we'll have all the traffic signals up and operational. And so, uh, again, with weather holds, we've got a good forecast for a few weeks here. If the weather holds, we hope to get everything done that we can and uh, get people on the main line, all four lanes of traffic open. So that'll be a great uh, uh, improvement in that area. Uh, one of the transportation projects I'll talk about is a Clear Creek Trail, phase six and seven. Uh, it's been a very challenging year for that project. As you can imagine, it's down along a creek, along Clear Creek, and so it's the first thing to get wet. It's the last thing to dry out. And so we've had a lot of challenges with that. Uh, the two bridges over Clear Creek uh, will be complete within the next two weeks. Uh, and our goal is we're pushing that contractor very hard to uh, get the trail paved from where the end of the Clear Creek Trail system is now out to our Creekside ballpark uh, to make that connection. Uh, to be open and available at the beginning of the year. Um, there will be challenges from that point forward because if, uh, if you're familiar with the project, we're actually going underneath the I-80 bridges at Clear Creek, along uh, Clear Creek, and then under the 380 bridges at Clear Creek to attach to Tiffin's existing trail. It's, it's already there. Um, because the interchange is under construction, there's always going to be some staging and, and uh, scheduling issues with that because we can't really have um, the public working, uh, using a trail underneath active construction of new bridges. The bridges are getting higher and wider and longer, but they are going to be under construction. So uh, we thought we had that worked out, so it was going to be a minimal disruption to the trail system. However, now the uh, DOT got an infra grant last year of $50 million to accelerate the interchange project, which is a good thing overall. But what that means is that uh, they're accelerating the bridges. And so um, it's going to be a challenge, I think, in the near term to get that trail completed and or have it open to have direct access to Tiffin. So, you know, we're doing our best to work with the DOT to try to, to minimize, uh, uh, number one, the disruption, and number two, let us get it paved. But I think there is going to be a lag here now because of their accelerated construction of being able to get that trail done and open to the public. So uh, we continue to work with that. Uh, one other project I'll mention is uh, a city project is our wastewater treatment plant improvements project. We started that in April of this year. It's a $32 million uh, project to upgrade our plant. We'll double the capacity of the plant. Uh, treatment 
process as well as have a double the size of the uh, stormwater storage uh, lagoons on site. So if, if there's uh, you know catastrophic rains, that we can hold that um, flow on site and not have to discharge it to the creek until we can safely bring it back to the plant. Started in April this year as well. It's a 27-month project, and so that's moving forward and will be done in the fall of 2020. So I'd be glad to answer any questions. Uh, we just completed a, wa a water treatment plan improvement project, about $4 million project there, and so that's uh, coming online now. So that's how we, again, double the capacity of that facility as well. So um, that's online now, or shortly will be online. So I'd be glad to answer any questions if anybody has one. The north portion of Coral Ridge that will stay closed, how long do you expect that? We're hoping a couple weeks. Uh, it's really, you know, we got a good weather forecast, knock on wood, here for a few weeks. And it's really, it's, it's a very relatively small portion of the Corridge Avenue on, the, again, the east half of the Wheaton Road intersection. The Between Wheaton and Forever Green has been paved on the east side. It's just literally the east half of the intersection that it has to be torn out and repaved uh, because it was on the detour route for the entirety of the project. And so we're hoping a couple weeks. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Okay, we've got 5B next, which is discussion of the uh, Severson challenge, or charity challenge. Good evening, Emily Bothell. Um, it's that time of year again where we're asking whether or not the board wants to participate in the friendly Severson Charity Challenge. As Sarah outlined in the memo, um, the board has been participating in this challenge for the last seven years um, to honor Linda Severson, who served as the MPO's Human Services Coordinator from 1994 until her death in 2011. The annual charity drive was inspired um, by just one of the many acts of generosity and compassion for which Linda was known. And the challenge invites each government entity to select a local charity they wish to support. Um, in 2017, contributions were up by 12% over 2016, and University Heights was awarded um, the Severson Trophy in 2017. So if the board chooses to participate, um, the event would run from December 1st through January 4th. Yeah, I think this has been really fun. Uh, you know, I think maybe at least a majority of you uh, knew Linda, worked with Linda, and, and knew what a good person Linda was. But uh, this has been fun for us, and I think you know we, we understand that everybody's already involved in other charities and other drives and all that thing, and that's it's a busy time of year, but. Uh, I, for one, think it'd be a great thing for us to continue to participate, and we'd be happy to get that organized and, and reach out to your communities. I think we should continue. Same here. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Very good. Great. I see lots. Of, I see lots of nodding. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. We'll we'll reach out. Um, we'll we'll. We'll operate the same way we have in the past, but we'll reach out to uh, city clerks and so on and so forth to make sure you've got the information you need. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very good. Thanks, Emily. Okay, I guess we're ready for adjournment then. Motion and a second from somebody. So moved. Thank second. you. First and second, all those in favor say aye. 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 We're adjourned. Thank you, everyone.